through the mist by the milk light of moon all that was lost is revealed our long bygone burdens mere echoes of the spring but where have we come and where shall we end if dreams can't come true then why not pretend ooh welcome to clappercast episode 7 or 80 <laughs> i don't know what fucking episode it is this was the worst intro ever i already admit it but unlike some cowards on other podcasts i'll keep it in uh, welcome to our halloween special uh, i am your host carson tamar as always joined by two scary skeletons today alina falls and paul price how are y'all doing today I'm doing well. I'm very excited about Halloween. I'm debating dyeing my hair for my costume. So, oh, well, it's tonight, it's so you better right better hurry up and pick, you know? <laughs> I am not dressing up this year because I have no one to dress up with and like nowhere to go. So, Alina I'm living a very sad Halloween. <laughs> Listen, what's the point? I don't leave my house. If I could find a man that would dress up like Macho Man Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth with me, I would do something for Halloween. But I haven't found him yet, so it's not happening. Well, I'm dressing up as the best host of a Clapper podcast, so that's my nice. costume for this year. So today for the Halloween special, we all have picked out films or shows or something Halloween-ish that we wanted to come on and talk about. Um, and we might as well start with Alina. Why don't we start with you? You picked what? Well, you you know what? We let Paul introduce his shit all the past two months. When we we did the road to Halloween. Introduce what you brought. It's your turn, Alina. I picked ghost stories, and the backstory of me picking ghost stories is I was talking to this guy in August and September, and it didn't work out. I ghosted him, but I figured I should still watch this movie because you know he did have decent taste before I decided to go ghost and I was also wondering did he recommend this horror anthology to me because he think I'd like it or did he recommend it to me because I'm brown because <laughs> ghost stories is a anthology of short horror films from India and I was like okay cool this sounds like fun it's on Netflix I've never heard of it prior to like this dude recommending it to me I feel like Netflix really buries their like foreign media which is pretty lame of them um yeah there's like four like short stories like four different directors um and the last segment in it is directed by the same guy who did my favorite Bollywood movie um K3G so a solid pick I had a good time with it when I was watching it I feel like all the horror shorts were really like unique and interesting um and I was having fun with them and they're like longer short films like they're cool I really liked the production especially like the monsters and the makeup were pretty cool the only issue I have with like and this applies to every single short I feel like the endings just don't like hit as much as they should they everything just kind of falls flat and I just don't like how they like wrapped everything what did you guys think yeah, I was also pleasantly surprised by this because there was a lot of things that made me a little bit nervous here. Um, it was two and a half hours long. It's an anthology film. We just did French Dispatch, which I didn't like. On this very Road to Halloween tour that we were just on, 
we did Southbound, which is an anthology film I didn't like. So I was like, okay, the, like, let's prepare to not like this, but then we'll see. Ended up really liking it. The technical aspect of this is really, I think, what sets it apart. I agree. The stories themselves, the endings don't really do anything for me. But, like, the stories themselves also, like, they're fine. I'm not, like, bored by them. But it wasn't anything, like, incredible. But, like, the technical aspect of this, and specifically there's the second story here. There's four main stories. How that is, it's almost in black and white, but it's not. It's monochrome. Um, and then like how they play with audio throughout, like the technical side of this, I thought really helped make it stand out. And I, I did watch it fine. I was not bored by it at any point. I wasn't like, oh, I hate this. I have an hour left. Um, maybe it's not like my favorite. Maybe I won't probably ever watch it again. Um, but I have nothing against this film. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I, um, I really enjoyed it. But to your guys' point, and especially uh, now that you've mentioned Southbound, um, and actually French Dispatch. Um, in general, I was really surprised. This is the first anthology I've ever watched where there isn't any, like, even attempt to have a connective tissue um, mm -hmm. between the films. And that was, like, my only kind of uh, complaint of it. It felt more like I was watching, like, if you would recommend oh we're watching a indian film fest's short film section yeah um because they they like i was watching and i was so ready for something to connect it all and i was like oh we're just watching the next one um to the point where once one finished um i was like i'm gonna go make breakfast uh because i know that uh after i'd watched the second one i was like they're not gonna matter at all if i like take a break um mm -hmm. and it didn't but i also loved them um uh, i think the ranking of them is like there's a steep cliff actually it's funny Carson that you said the second one's your favorite because I think that's my least favorite um but uh none of them were particularly like uh I didn't dislike any of them and I enjoyed all of it uh but yeah I just think um it was interesting to watch a anthology where it was just like and here's the next short um mm -hmm. And it is, I would like to go back to um, those opening credits because I want to see if they mattered at all or it was its own short story. I was trying not to pay attention to them too much to like the plot of it because I felt like it might be spoilers, but I don't know retroactively. The, I really liked the opening credits. They were really nice. Um, They're so pretty, but I thought that it yeah. was like, here's what's going to happen in every single one of these shorts because sometimes that happens in these. <laughs> it kind True. of just had that it wasn't I was reading... animated. Like, I kind of want it all animated, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, it was really good animation for the opening credits. Mm -hmm. I was reading the Wikipedia page um, to like see like what director did like what short. And apparently, the four of them did two other short anthologies, which is interesting. So I wonder if those ones connect at all but they're not horror they're just like other anthologies so oh, i'm wondering if those ones are like more connected than this one but i don't know the other one is called bombay talkies and then uh lust stories so that's interesting cool. i'm curious <laughs> how do you guys rank these how would you rank the um i'll pull up the or do you have them uh alina the four names yeah um let me go back Oh, on Wikipedia, they just say story one, two, three, and four. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I would put them four, three, one, two. 
What would you do? Am Carson? I the only one who liked number two? T. I liked two, but <laughs> I would probably go two, four, three, one. I would do three, one, four, two. Interesting. You sound like passcodes to all our. <laughs> and if you put them all together, <laughs> you have a code that says yeah. <laughs> you'll be name. able to call and get a special <laughs> treat from Flabbergast. <laughs> um yeah uh so like uh sorry i guess people should know what these different ones were um Mm -hmm. alina do you want to go through the four different stories and kind of give a brief description of each one yeah okay so the first one is about a nurse and she is working for this like elderly lady who has like diabetes in her own home and then she also has this lover who seems to be like just about to leave his marriage but like he hasn't quaffed his wife yet um and then also there's like a son that is supposed to look after the mother but he like never appears um so this one wasn't like as horror-y as I thought it was going to be but it still kind of like creeped me out and I really liked the the older lady in in this one in particular I thought she was really good Um, And then the second one, it's about a woman who's looking after her dead sister's child, and then she's having a baby. And then there's also this like curse that she has on her from when she like touched bird's eggs as a kid. And then that one gets like really fucking wild. So that's why I didn't like it as much. But I did, like Carson said, the technical aspect of that one was really cool and how desaturated everything was. Um, then the third one is in a village and there's like this adult man and he like comes across these two children, like a boy and a girl. And he gets like told by the children that, um, the little girl's father has like eaten everybody in the entire town. And like they, the entire town has turned into like these creepy like monster zombie things and then some people are still human but are eating like flesh like the zombies and monsters so like the zombies and monsters think like that they're no longer human either so they can like survive um I this one I think would have been my favorite if it weren't for the ending because this is a bit spoilers but it kind of gets revealed that it's kind of like a dream sequence and that it didn't even happen and I was like okay that's such like a lame way to end it um, and then the last one is by the guy who did my favorite Bollywood movie. Um, it's a girl who's having an arranged marriage and the guy, like her husband talks to his, the ghost of his dead grandmother and it's fucking like insane and crazy. Paul and I were talking during that one. Cause we were like watching it around like the same time. And Paul was like, this is sad because this is exactly what's going to happen to us when we get married. It's like, Oh, you're actually really crazy. Cause apparently we have bad taste in people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> those are the four stories. I wish they had titles, honestly. Yeah. Like it's I, actually, yeah, it actually makes it weirder, uh, you know, retroactively. Mm-hmm. Because I think there is an ability to separate these into shorts. Um, and I think that like, uh, it seems to be at least on like Letterbox that story three, uh, the zombie one is like far and away everyone's favorite, um, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Um, I liked it, but I also feel like zombies are very passe at this point. 
but I thought it was a unique version of it. And like, it was the only one where I was like, oh, yep, this is horror. Like, this is reaching into the dark depths of, you know, the human spirit or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it was really fun. Uh, There's a particular line in the fourth one that cracked me up when the girl is like, um, they're like talking about like why they're entering an arranged marriage. And the girl is like, well, I might be really bright, but not so much in my personal life. And I was like, wow, that's relatable as fuck. Cause like, I consider myself to be a fairly smart person in like any other aspect except for men. So you know what, <laughs> queen. <laughs> so good. But we love you the same on Clappercast. Um, no, I, I'm also, I'll just say like, I like seeing horror from other perspectives and other languages and other like you know i think horror so tends to get like bogged down by like only like white perspective and like i see mike flanagan every fucking year have a new series which i'm sure is great right i haven't seen midnight mass um or the haunting the second haunting he did but like it is nice just seeing some diversity seeing some perspective and seeing it on netflix even though it got completely buried you know, at least this is something people can check out. And I hope they do, because I think these are really wonderful stories. Well, Alina, I'm going to keep with you, actually, because no one really picked this. I don't know how it happened. We were talking about Lesbian Vampire Killer starring James Corden on Twitter. And then I know it, exactly how it happened. It evolved to me watching it. Then it evolved to me recommending it on the podcast, which maybe now people are going to look at a little differently that they've seen the film. Um, and then somehow it just kind of like morphed into we're doing it on the Halloween special because the gimmick was everyone picks one, but then this somehow made it onto the list. So Lena, I'll, I'll stick with you. I guess you can give the st- oral history of how Lesbian Vampire Killers got into the Clappercast 2021 Halloween special. Um, and you can introduce this piece of art, I would Yes. Say. So if you know me and follow me on Twitter, you know I like to tweet out every dumbass thought that crosses my mind because Twitter is like my diary of stupidity. And one day I tweeted, what if I watched every single Adam Sandler film in chronological order? I was like, a joke, but you know, I might actually do it if I find the time. And Carson replied to me saying, I've thought about doing this with James Corden. And then I saw that tweet and I was like, okay, let me go and look at James Corden's filmography and find like the stupidest thing there. And I saw this movie entitled Lesbian Vampire Killers that I had never heard of before. And I screenshotted the poster and I tweeted it to Carson, can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. And then I don't remember how it like went from that to us talking about it on Clappercast, but it felt like James Corden has been a running theme on Clappercast for quite a while that we just were obligated to. It's like the spirit of James Corden possessed us and forced us to talk about it. Um, So it's about these two guys, um, James Corden and his buddy, their names are Fletch and Jimmy. And Jimmy's girlfriend has just broken up with him for like God knows how many times like they constantly break up and then she comes crawling back to him and he always takes her back because he's a pathetic little weasel. Um, And then it finally happens again. And James Corden and Jimmy are like, hey, like, fuck this bitch. Let's throw a dart at a map of the UK and go on a motherfucking road trip and just forget about this bitch that keeps breaking up with you. Because like, we're just going to drink and fuck a lot of chicks. That was their whole shtick. And I was like, tight. Um, and then they go to this random ass town. And apparently there's a legend. Um, I can't remember the vampire's 
like queen's name it's like celeste or camilla or something like like that she like puts a curse on this town where Carmilla. every single one um she puts this curse on this like random uk town where every teenage girl that like once they reach the age of 18 they turn into a lesbian vampire and so like james corden and his friend jimmy run into like this group of women who are like for lack of a better word party whores but also are studying folklore which is very confusing to me and like they go to a castle and then suddenly they start turning into lesbian vampires and I was like all right and then Jimmy and James Corden start killing the lesbian vampires I was like okay like I thought it was going to be describing this it seems like it's going to be a lot more fun than it does but like I don't understand why they had to be lesbians other than having a provocative title. Like there was no reason for them to be specifically lesbian well, vampires. The funniest <laughs> part about that actually, Alina, is in the US, it is just called vampire killers. <laughs> um, I, I, I'll go after Carson though. I was just doing that little Carson. Actually, I think you probably should go first. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I think this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen full stop. Um, but I do understand, um, you know, why it would be liked. Um, it is very, um, you know, we'll be talking about, uh, last night in Soho recently. So like Edgar Wright movies, it is so wild how much, especially of the first act is just like taken from the overall vibe of Shaun of the Dead. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you look, it's 2009. So like, you know, James Corden is like, I'm a large man, but I'm not Nick Frost. So I guess I'll get my own movie. Um, And the more you like watch this movie, it's like it thinks that it's trying to be Shaun of the Dead, but never can quite get there. Uh, I think the, the joke that like got me the most, like not in terms of being funny, in terms of the opposite, uh, was this constant reference to a sequel that you know, we're 12 years out. Um, we know never comes. And they're like, the gay werewolves, the gay werewolves, the gay werewolves. I'm like, I get it. You think you're getting a sequel. And every time I would laugh, I even wrote Alina the first time. I was like, wow, they're looking to make a sequel. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize you were going to keep pitching it to us. Um, literally the last shot of this movie is a gay werewolf. It would have been so homophobic. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, like, even the fact that the lesbian vampires in this bleed cum instead of blood is just like... <laughs> <laughs> the first time it happened, I was like, that's not what they're trying to do, is it? And I was like, oh, no. No, no, it is. Um... <laughs> God. <laughs> um, look, as you're like, describing it, we're all laughing out loud. <laughs> And I think that shows having more fun talking about it than watching it. That is showing the genius of the screenwriters. I do think that if like I watched this in a group of people, um, they would have all left. But if I could have convinced them to stay, (laughs) then like occasionally at some point, depending on the level of alcohol we had drank, we may have laughed once or twice. But overall, like, and there is a thing of like James Corden at this point um, was kind of so like, good, <laughs> uh, but he kind of was like a like 
sort of beloved actor. He was on a show called Gavin and Stacy, which he actually co-wrote, and he was the um, like best friend, um, and that's kind of where he came about from. He guest starred on Doctor Who too. Yeah, it's like so he like had started getting like a little bit of like uh, cred, I guess, and he hadn't retroactively been disliked as much as he is now. Um, so I think watching this at that time might've given a different perspective on specifically him because his character is like reprehensible. So like, and the fact that he later becomes like the guy from cats and, you know, all this, like these roles that are just like, Oh oh God, it's James Corden. Um, I think that uh, you might have let him slide a little bit more. Um, But overall, I just like, I felt like there were aspects of this I could have liked, but I've also seen this type of movie so many times, and this is the weakest one. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I know one of us thinks it's a retroactive feature winner. (laughs) I would argue it deserves it. Look, there's a lot of things one can say about lesbian vampires. <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> Number one, you cannot tell me the introduction, James Corden, where it slowly pans down and he's in this horrific clown costume. It's not the funniest scene in cinema history because I died laughing. It might have been the loudest I've laughed in my life. And from that point on, it's just fun. Is it smart? Wait, no. wait, wait. We need to note here that James Corden in that clown reveal scene is getting fired from being a clown because he punched a literal child. <laughs> and that's what I love about James Corden at this time and this film. It's willing to take risks. It's ambitious. I think that's one of the biggest words you can use for lesbian vampire killers. It's so good. The visuals in this film might not always be good, but damn, do they try. Okay? The jokes might not always be funny, but damn, do they try. The performance is not always great, but damn, do they try. I think this film is fun. I would say the exact opposite. It's not great. It definitely feels like everything was done in, like, the total of six weeks. You know, you must have been one of those people like Andrew Lloyd Webber who just couldn't understand what Corden was doing in Cats and was like, I hate him. Corden people hate. I cannot believe Andrew. We'll get to that on a future podcast. Andrew Lloyd Webber dead to me after he said James Corden was terrible in Cats. But look, it's not good. It's it's like it's hard to even be like it's good, right? But like it is fun. I think if you're willing to have a stupid time and you're not someone who like is so randomly anti-James Corden that they cannot stand this man who's done nothing. Like, what has he been? A little rude to his interns? Okay, you know, welcome to Hollywood, honey. But like, <laughs> other than that, he's done nothing. He's just been fun and tried his best. And like, I think this is incredibly fun. So I think if you can have fun with it, if you're going in with the right attitude for like some stupid humor, it's a blast. Like just talking about it, we're all laughing out loud. What other comedy have we ever talked about to get this reaction? I'm just talking about like, yeah, the fucking lesbians bleed cum. It's fucking great. You know, as a society, we have to accept this, I think. And I'm like really fighting for my life here because like I'm not defending anything good, but I'm really having to try. 
<laughs> so this is like <laughs> this is the opposite of lamb where really i'm trying to sell you on it. something here it's not going good I, but like my I, my, my favorite part about this is this isn't even your movie to defend it just happened to show up here much like when james corden came to america and we we're like oh i guess we'll deal with it uh, but you're like, actually, no, once again, like James Corden, you're like, no, I am a stan. <laughs> okay, oh, I, I forgot about James this Corden one aspect stan. of it. Be clear, but okay, continue. Okay, okay. So, like, in the film, they make it so that Jimmy, like James Corden's friend, is like a descendant of this, like, ancestor who, like, was hunting Car Carmilla or whatever her name is, the vampire queen originally. And I don't get that because they just picked a random town. Wouldn't like he fate. know that he had a fate? You know, saying? wouldn't he know that he had a famous like vampire hunting grandfather? I'm just saying, maybe it was fate. The one plot hole of this entire film is that. <laughs> that's true. Other than that, good thing lesbian vampire strong. killers. That's the one <laughs> thing the script got wrong. I also love that we actually don't know what the title is and we've called it about 400 different things. It is Killers. You were right. But I've heard us all say Hunters at different times. I know, because <laughs> Hunters feels right, doesn't it? Lesbian Vampire Hunters, Run Lesbian Vampire Killers. Vampire Hunters sounds better, honestly. We're on a podcast talking about a 2009 film starring James Corden called Lesbian Vampire Killers that <laughs> only 7,000 people have seen, according to Letterboxd. That's the and funniest part. Like, oh. So, like, I don't even know why we're doing this. This is not going to get us any clicks. Anyone cares. But, like, we're gonna I just want our listeners to watch it and suffer with us. Okay, so here's the- No, no, not suffer. Watch it and enjoy okay, with Okay, so us. here's the funniest part, is I have a couple of friends that have followed. I'm not going to read your guys' numbers, but I have a half star, like, uh, of the people I follow in Letterboxd. Someone voted it a half star, a half star, a one and a half star, a two star, a 3.5 star- and a four and a half star. <laughs> Wait a minute. Alina gave this thing a one star. Alina. I didn't. I haven't rated it yet. Did I? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I you it gave one it a star. one star. And I quote, <laughs> literally such a terrible movie. I thought it was going to be at least stupid and fun, but it was just stupid. Boo. How dare you? How dare the person who paid like $100 for a Toby Keith fucking movie. <laughs> Cannot enjoy lesbian vampire killers. You're too good for lesbian vampire killers. I would like to point out yes. that um, that is a her. I didn't expect Paul to like this, but Alina one star betraying um, me. I was I, I literally know. was I was sitting I, there. You stab me in the back, and I am bleeding. Come right now because of you. <laughs> I was. I mean, that's not hard. Um, but I uh, I was literally staring all day at the fact that you gave lesbian vampire killers and uh night of the hunter nearly the same rating <laughs> it's like really Look, it I really to, just I, like did something to me <laughs> if i had to sit down and choose one to watch right now guess which one i would choose you know all i'm gonna say oh god <laughs> like i'm going through all the movies that you voted below lesbian yeah. vampire killers <laughs> yeah but you can list some if you want i'll stand by every single one of them godfather i think i would rate probably equal honestly <laughs> there's like the lost daughter which is like in the contention yeah. for oh, like shit. multiple things and you're like no no lesbian vampire killers <laughs> i actually do stand by that one completely <laughs> that lost daughter is shit <laughs> 
Uh, and everyone lost so their minds good. when I said that. When I said uh, lesbian vampire killers was good, no one batted an eye. But they were like, How <laughs> everyone was like, daughter. I, we've already seen your opinions on things. So like, it's a lost cause. <laughs> hey, just like the daughter. Oh God. Well, I, I think the closing statement on this one is just like, please Clappercast family. We've said to do a lot. Please watch lesbian vampire killers. Everyone here agrees that you will love it. Five stars across the board. <laughs> it's giving me share. I wish we had like, this is totally random. I wish we had names for our fans. Like, the cum shots. I just like we have to think of one. The lesbian vampire killer. Our seven fans. <laughs> exactly. I know there's some of them because they've tweeted at us. They exist. We'll they think of something. Clapper cast. <laughs> uh, oh god. If you have any ideas, <laughs> email us. Thanks. The clapper cummies. Is that something? <laughs> oh god. No. <laughs> We're going to have like legitimate people like <laughs> pop into the podcast to guest and we'll be like, hi, clap for coming. No, <laughs> I want a video of Jack at Venice film. Matt Neglia. He logs out immediately. <laughs> I want Jack at the Venice film festival in 2022 standing in the middle of the crowd saying, hi, clap for gas cummies. <laughs> okay. The funny thing is, I don't know we if I'm going to cut that or can't not. Breathe anymore. I, don't, I don't know if that's going to be in the podcast or not. Okay, so uh, the next film we're talking about is actually a TV series. It's Whoa, okay. Paul thinks he gets to be the last one on this. That's fine, I guess. Um, well, I kind of wanted to be the last one because the last one is supposed to be Midnight Horror, which is the last thing you usually watch. Um, but also, like, over the garden wall. I keep wanting to say only murders in the building. Only murders in the garden. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that. Uh, odd. I can. Yeah, right. Uh, it sounds like an Agatha Christie novel. Ooh, like Hercule Poirot yeah. would show up and be like, <laughs> the killer was Tony the Wright. butler. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, duh. Oh my God. That's the name <laughs> of the obvious. You do an Agatha Christie adaptation, but it's in the Sherlock Gnomes universe. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Which, by the way, we need to do a Sherlock Gnomes episode. I don't know how we fit that into a series. It has to happen. There's one of the best line reading ever in a film in that film, but side point. Um, we next just year they, do next a year... series of all the Sherlock adaptations. Duh. I was about to say they are doing Sherlock. Uh, aren't they doing Sherlock 3 next year? So yeah. we can pop in there. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a okay. Let's so go. instead of doing Sherlock Introduce Holmes, us the first to uh, <laughs> only... <sighs> What's it called, Paul? over the garden wall i almost said only walls in the garden it's very hard (laughs) (laughs) it's too many words (laughs) it really is not that hard okay 2014 cartoon network miniseries over the garden wall 10 episodes 11 minutes an episode so not too bad i didn't force you guys sit through like a whole you know full thing um this is a series i didn't watch it when it first came out and it's weird because the series is both like the biggest and smallest thing ever Everyone I feel like talked about this before I saw it. And then I watched it and I was like, oh my God, it's like, I love it. It's one of my favorite pieces of media ever created. 
then at the same time, I feel like nobody's ever watched this. Like I've always been the one to be like, Hey friends, let's watch this or, you know, watch this. And they're like, what is this? So I don't know how both everyone is into this and no one's into this. Um, but it's about these two brothers, Wirt and Greg, they get lost into these woods. Um, and it's kind of weird. You have like skeletons coming up from the dead. You have cats, like black cats walking around. You have like animals acting weird. You have a talking bluebird and you don't really know what is going on. But it goes with them meeting various characters, going on little zany adventures. And then it kind of recontextualizes itself towards the end, which I don't know if we want to get into spoilers or not. We can eventually. Um, And I was just really like, when you put this as a full package, I think it's a genius. I love it specifically for the autumn because it's super Americana. So much horror is British horror. It's Gothic horror. This one is so tied to American folklore. I think the world is genius. I think it's so fucking funny, but also super terrifying at the same time at points. But it's just also really interesting with how the world works, the various theories you can create with it. Um, It's a piece of media that works so well, just like as a casual watch. But also if you try to engage with it, there's so much there. I love this one, but I know I love this one. I'm curious what you guys think, because I really have no idea what you guys are going to think. Um, I actually probably watched this before you, Carson, then. I think I watched it around 2014. Um, and it's actually funny how you talk about the fact that you know it exists and then never mention it again. Um, because that's kind of how I did with this. I, I love this. I've watched it multiple times. But there's something about it. And I would say... I think it's the fact that it's the move. It's a movie length, but is shown as a series, um, that like makes it feel uh, a bit like almost watching a webisode, um, like a web series or something. And it's like, oh yeah, that was interesting, but like it doesn't like lock in your brain for some reason. Because uh, I love this. Uh, the cast is great. You know, I actually watched this specifically because I have a huge like support for Melanie Linsky. Um, who to this day still seems to be an actress who like never gets like her shot, even though she started out so strong um, and she kills everything that she's in. In this, she plays like a little bird and all of her lines are so funny. This is also Elijah Wood doing like some really great voice work. Um, and I forgot the little boy, if he actually is anyone or just like a fun. Colin Dean. Character. Colin Dean, who, who I don't, he's only been oh, in Transylvania. Well, no, he's Lincoln Loud in the Loud House, which um, for oh. our younger listeners, you're probably like, what? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure uh, we have I so mean, many young listeners. <laughs> I would assume, hey, um, if you're a younger listener, please let us know your age. I'm very curious about our overall age rating. <laughs> if it is younger, we really cannot call them the cummies. Let's be clear. <laughs> Our group of like nine-year-old gummies. <laughs> you know what I my our sorry. You know what my favorite thing about our podcast is on Apple Podcasts at least it says we're clean, which is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> that is very funny because like we don't make it through an episode with any sort of like. <laughs> it literally uh, says rating clean wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's like how people keep saying that Carson's like a sweet little guy and just I so am. innocent. <laughs> I am. Uh, so back to the I just love show. my cartoons, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
even when Carson mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, I like know this show back and forth. And then I was watching it. I was like, literally, I remember nothing about this, um, which is so weird. Cause I think the ending, because it is a twist and I don't think we need to go into it. Cause I do think people need to watch it. And I would assume most people haven't um, that, uh, you know, you kind of feel like you remember everything, but it really is like a pretty varied little story. Um, it's also interesting that until right now, um, the creator of it, uh, uh, Patrick McHale, literally did nothing again. And then now he's doing the new Pinocchio that comes out in 2022. And he's wait, like he's doing the Pinocchio. But yeah, like after, yeah. Well, he's just doing the. He wrote it. Um, That's the Guillermo del Toro one. Uh, well, it's a screenplay by Del Toro. Grace Grimley, Patrick McGill, and Matthew Robbins. Um, that's, a, that's not a bad a lot of people. Four, though. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not against Matthew Robbins. He did uh, Sugarland Express, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Jaws. So it'll be a very weird film. Um, yeah. I'm excited about it. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, kind of, he kind of disappeared after this. And it's really curious because I've never really seen someone who did something that was this much of like a calling card, just full on disappear after. Um, but yeah, like if you're wondering if this is for you, if you like things like kind of the Tim Burton-y kind of things, but also um, like Gravity Falls, anything like that is definitely like the right thing. And it is a movie. It's like, it is in series form, but it's movie length. Like you can just sit down and watch it in an evening. Um, I do mm-hmm. wish that they would create a movie version, if I'm honest. Um, I know it would like feel a little like choppy, but I think that would be fine just to like be able to put it on. It was even annoying watching it on HBO Max and having to click out at the end of every episode and like losing the momentum every 11 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I also really liked it. I had seen the first two episodes like years ago when I was in university because one of my friends really liked it like ow, all of my friends that I went to like university with had seen it and really love it and they're like the people who watch it every single like autumn like over and over again like year after year like it's a tradition for them at this point so I was surprised to hear you guys say that like not a lot of people that you know have seen it because, like, for me, I've, like, heard about Over the Garden came out pretty much. I just never bothered with it. Because I was like, this is a kid's thing. I don't really care. But it's so fucking cute. It's so cozy. It's autumnal. It has just, like, everything. And it's also just so funny. Greg killed me so much. He's just so sweet and endearing. And he doesn't even realize he's being funny. Um, his elephant costume, fucking amazing. So good. Um, but yeah, and then it's also like actually kind of scary. Like if I was a young child watching this, I would be legitimately terrified of termites. The highwayman, he freaks me out. <laughs> I mean, it's also just incredibly um, dark, not like even thematically, like with this or even story-wise. Like once you realize what's happening, mm-hmm. I really like it is a very dark project beyond normal cartoon network, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was cool. I, I liked the like the entire series. It's really fun. Um, I like how everything connects. I liked the, like the, the reveals at the end. Like everything about it is just like solid. So 
yeah i don't know watch it really listen fun. to all the your the nerdy friends in your life and watch it Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I could gush about this all day. Um, I think the animation is fantastic. I think the soundtrack and score are like a second to none. I think it's interesting you mentioned how Patrick McHale, McHale hasn't done much from this, considering also Cartoon Network really has, like this is highly successful for them. They, this is very popular. I'm sure they've made a buttload of cash on this, but like they haven't really done that many like mini series since. Like I love the fact that this was released just one week in October back in 2014. I wish they would do more of these. Like every Halloween, why not like give a week long mini series or something? I, I just, I feel like it's very weird how this came out. It feels like it made a splash, but then it just nothing ever came from it in any real way. It's very strange, um, but I love it. I watch it every single October. It's a tradition for me. So I have a rock facts rock I made. So I love it. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, no, that's cool. And before we go any further, let's hear a word about the sponsor for today's episode. Okay, and then to insert here a little bonus review, originally was not supposed to be talking about this film, but I'm here today with Jack Luke Sharp, icon, editor-in-chief, um, and we both saw the film, so we're talking about Paranormal Activities Next of Kin. Originally, we were not going to talk about this because I'm the only one to watch it, I'm the only one to watch the franchise, certainly the only one out of the main three of us who I think, let's say, cares about the franchise, I don't really care about it, I don't think it's that great of a franchise. Um, very similar to Blair Witch, really it's about the gimmick more than it is about the film itself or anything within it, both ironically found footage. Um, but overall, this is not a franchise I love. When they announced that they were making another one, going straight to streaming, was not necessarily a promising start, let's say. Um, it came out, and Jack, I've actually talked a lot this episode already, so I'll just turn it over to you. What are your thoughts, <laughs> number one? Are you Would you say you're a fan of the Paranormal Activity franchise, and are you a fan of Paranormal Activity, The Next of Kin? Right, so I'll start with the first question that I think I remember all the way back in 2007. I think, is it, is it 07 or is it 09? I always get, I, always, I think 07. it's 07, isn't it? I think so. I, re I remember watching it um, illegally. I'll even admit that openly. I mean, I was, I was at 12, so what are they going to do? Um, I remember watching it on my computer upstairs, um, family computer, like generally being like shit scared watching it. And then the sequels came out and, you know, I think there's diminishing returns. It's quite an understatement. And then it just lost a lot of steam. It's interesting because we're both fans of Saw and ultimately Saw came, Paranormal Activity took it over. And then you have other franchises that come in and then Paranormal Activity, you know, gets put, put down, let's say. That, that's just the cycle of it. So when, like you said, when it was announced that we were gonna, this was like a sequel reboot, um, I was optimistic because it's an interesting conversation to have now. It seems as though that genre is dead. Um, found footage anywhere um, and then it came out to no fanfare I don't think anybody knows this is out so for me and you um, and I watched it and then I realized that the opening credits or sorry that the end credits William Eubank was uh, was on it and I thought William Eubank I've, I've, I've heard that name I thought looked him up was like underwater I, I really like it um, and I do not like this film I think disappointing um, doesn't write quite good here I think this is a disaster um, I mean uh, I, I think there's, there's a lot there's a lot to sort of analyze here the, the the biggest one I find strange is that I think it's been what five or six years since the last last film and the, the genre of horror has evolved so much we're in a new way of horror now where it's more character driven stories found footage is taking a back seat 
for some reason, this film feels like it, it, it wants to meld that and a cinematic lens and it doesn't work whatsoever. I mean, it's actually quite tricky during the film because you'll have this really, you'll have like a 235.1 frame in, in a hotel room and the, the, the camera is pointed towards these characters. But all of a sudden you have a character who interacts with the camera then and takes it off its tripod. And it's an interesting sort of idea to edit the film to keep momentum, but it just looks very strange and unnatural. Um, the cinematic lens to it, especially in the opening and a diner, I, di I didn't really understand what was going on. Um, but it, 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 I mean, <laughs> that that's just the cinematic like skill behind it, which is tragic. I think the idea that they think that anybody here is going to be welcoming to watch a found footage film in 2021, specifically at home, um, anyone who manages to see this thing anyway, I, I just don't understand what they were thinking of. Um, it, it, I mean, it, there's there's no ten it, like intensity to this film. There's no tension. There's no adrenaline. There's no fun. There's no entertainment. Um, I think it's what an hour and ninety is it is it, is it ninety seven minutes something like that or is it even longer than that? Ninety eight minutes. It's not. It's not. Feels longer. Yeah, it's not. It's not short. Yeah, it's not short and sweet either. And there's a lot of build up here. It's predictable. Um, it's incredibly unentertaining as well. If, if it feels like it's it's trying to fight against its own instincts. There is sort of like um, a little bit of a relief towards the third act where there's a little bit of injection of, I would say, fun, but it's so sort of hollow and uninteresting again. Like it just, it doesn't cater to the audience whatsoever. I mean, I, I wrote in my notes, I thought like, where is the intensity? Like where is the anxious nature to the story? Because it's it's deviating from the, the one camera setup. So we, we can start to, to, you know, go through setting and the film just relies on jump scares with with a camera that can only see two or three feet. When you've got a skill like that with someone behind a camera, especially in close quarters, like underwater with with, with, with Eubank's skill, I thought it was sort of capable of showing the audience uh, intensity and, and 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 at least tension. And here was just it was so flat, boring. I didn't really care about the characters. I think really predictable where this is going to go. I, again, like. I, I, there's, there's, I come down to this, right? I don't think everybody needs to be the likes of Hereditary Midsummer. We, we don't need to have the pinnacle of Get Out every single year, you know? But I, I still think that horror should it, it is at a place now where you can elevate this type of material. And I think this has interesting threads and roots of being something like Hereditary, where we get taken from uh, a society and put into into another sort of interesting mold of of, of culture, let's say, um, and we can have some shock value. But even then, I think even just on the, like the rustic nature of that, this film's like slightly appalling. I mean, we 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 talk about like Shyamalan a lot. Me myself, the Newcastle, we're big fans, and I think in in perspective of this and the visit, and I don't I don't like the visit. I think that the visit is more or less a masterpiece compared to this. I think this is that bad, really poor. And and it's like final sequence is meant to give you the, this irk of again like anxiousness and, and uncomfortability, and it just falls flat so poorly. I mean, I think that some use of the camera is interesting, but it's just so silly at the time, and it's so so silly. 
Yeah, I don't really get this film in a lot of ways. I think the first way we should probably analyze this is just as part of this franchise. It's very weird to me that number one, they were just like, we're going to make another Paranormal Activity now because like this is a series that is more than dead. Like I, it is transcended just being dead. The worm says eaten its carcass. But then also it's not really anything, like it's unrecognizable, I would say, as a Paranormal Activity film. Uh, similar to what Chris said when we talked about Halloween Kills, he said he didn't recognize Michael Myers. I don't recognize this as a Paranormal Activity a paranormal activity film to the point where I was like, did they Cloverfield paradox this and like take another horror film and just like throw the Paranormal Activity stuff in there? It doesn't seem mm -hmm. like it's found footage. It's not, number one, entirely found footage. They, they cut away from the found footage, but also, as you mentioned, it's, cinem it's like cinema it doesn't look like found footage it takes the gimmick of found footage and then just like kind of throws away even like the point of it um and then for a lot of it it doesn't even feel like it's going against like ghosts like they do come in eventually but it starts with this like weird amish cult thing well it actually starts i guess with like covid19 just thrown in there mm -hmm. for some reason which i was like not <laughs> i hate the fact that now with paranormal activity it's canon that there's a line of someone saying i got covid five times don't love that for my franchise um it's just it's boring that's the issue with this and it granted it's the issue with all the well most of the paranormal activity films but the point is these series at least have those final five minutes where it works its way into the plot somehow and you get that shocking like final five minutes and it kind of justifies it all this doesn't have that it has nothing to do with the story of paranormal activity it doesn't have anything really to do with the gimmick or the established iconography of the series it just is its own little thing. And for what it is, it's not good. It's not interesting, as you mentioned. It's quite boring. I'm so sick of these. Uh, like, to a point, I get that you can do these things similar to Midsommar, where you go into this community, you are don't know what you're a part of, and then you figure out, like, wow, you're in way too deep, and they have sinister intentions. It's just so obvious here. This one was so predictable. The jump scares also we can throw in there. Every single scene, you know the formula. They're going to open the door. There's going to be nothing in there. They're going to turn around, and then it's there. Okay, that happens 20 times in this film. You know, it's the same formula for the story. It's a predictable formula for the scares. It, the characters are uninteresting. Uh, the whole gimmick of, like, making this documentary is uninteresting. It's stupid in terms of the franchise. I cannot imagine fans of the franchise enjoying this, but also I can't imagine people not into the franchise being like, I need to watch number seven of Paranormal Activity. It's just, it's not good. And I'm terrified, kind of getting to the larger picture here, that this is like the first project going on Paramount Plus, because apparently they are having a lot of different franchises and stuff that they're making sequels for that they're throwing on the streaming service. And like, this is not a promising start. At least they didn't try to do it th like in theaters. I'll give them that. They switched this to streaming, which was definitely the right move. But like, damn, if this is like number one, I don't want to see like the rest of these. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest mortal sin of this film and, and is is the identity that we're that it's quite clearly trying to elevate the conventions of what it put put forward in two thousand seven. Like it, it defined an era, um, and it and it did define an era for, for at least ten, ten, eight, eight or nine years at least. But I think a decade of cinema was most definitely defined on that piece of film in in, in two thousand seven. Um, th this film is afraid of of taking itself away from those conventions and ultimately from its probably um, ideology, its identity and going into something new. But it still pushes the boundaries of, of wanting to be more cinematic, taking itself away from the structure and, and conventions of just in a house. For me, I just don't think if, if you're going to, if you're going to at least elevate the material, I think you should at least 
go 100% with it, not go 25%. And I think this film is afraid to push away its, its original fans and also not detach itself and, and move away to, to this new wave horror, this new elevated horror, let's say, in quotes. To me, I think you've got to choose one or the other. I think if you're going to half-ass and go in the middle, I think you're going to piss off both, both people. I think it's better for a franchise to pick one. Um, and if one doesn't work, at least at least you know that you're safe in numbers by going back to the well. And if it does work, massive success. Um, it's it's strange because I find this film laser. Um, I think it's I think it's really poorly shot at, at times. I think the jump scares, or I think at least the set pieces, how they are orchestrated, are so predictable and numb. I think there's one sequence where, I think it towards the third act. Uh, where we, we follow our main actress, um, and, and then she, she's she's awoke in a bed crying, and she's moving like these. Uh, it's again like it's really poorly shot, but it feels like a, there's a, a chest of drawers of all of us, and she's pulling out drawers, and she goes into this like hole almost, and she she goes into a different part of this house, and I just sat and thought, I mean. I just don't see where the tension is. Am I meant to be sort of enthralled in this? I don't care about her. I don't know why they're making this, this documentary, why she would want to do that as a character felt strange, why they wouldn't leave felt strange, why they left the hotel and went to go back there felt strange. It, everything just felt like it was so like, convoluted and like derivative of where the genre was heading. And again, you, we, we talk about like, just being boring, like that's like the, the, the biggest sin in horror. At, at least put something forward where I'm, where I'm at least on the edge of my seat. And, and we talk about those last five minutes and the predecessors. And I think the, the first one, 2007, does that really well. Where you, you expect something, but it, but it's so shocking and like almost numbing it in a positive way. Whereas this film, even the iconography, when it shows you um, its hand, I felt was really really poor. I think it just felt lazy. And again, like this really strange cinematic choices to use slow motion because it's it's been breadcrumbed before when he's when he's when this character's talking to these kids on this uh, to, to these uh, um, image the image families and all of a sudden the, the camera then pauses and almost like slow motion like in these death sequences which i just felt was like again like it feels like a film that's contradicting its own ethos in a way like if we're going to go down the the, the <laughs> video footage, home, homemade genre, this found footage, at least keep with the rules and don't detach itself from that. Um, and I, I think, like you said, I think people who are, who are fans of this franchise, and I don't think there's going to be a lot of them anymore, uh, are going to be really pissed off with this. And I think normal people who want to go to watch a horror film are going to be equally disappointed because I think the film on that, that, that um, degree also fails its audience as well, where it, it wants to show a little bit, but not too much. And I think if it did, it would be more detrimental to the film because it's just not there. I don't think that there's enough scares here. I don't think it can commit because there's nothing else to commit towards. Um, really disappointing. I mean, like you said about the Paramount Plus thing, um, this feels like it would be on paper, a brilliant decision. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna put forward a, um, a horror film with, with a predisposed fan base. You know, we can get people over. Ooh, ooh, well, I'm not too sure. The one thing, the two things also, just just really quickly. The one thing was slightly worrying was that the title card the said this was based on Paranormal Activity, the first film, um, which I was like, oh, is this a reboot then? Are we are we are we starting afresh? I wasn't too sure about that. And secondly, the COVID thing. Oh, I just I'm 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 honestly not I'm not just not too sure what, what I think about it. Is it needed? No. Is it a conscious decision that feels like it, it was definitely put in here to 
to, to make sure that it was a part of our reality almost. Yes, that makes me slightly more uncomfortable that it's basing our, well, it, it's basing itself in our reality to, to get more scared in its eventual reveal, which I thought, I thought was a, a really sort of tone deaf gimmick almost, you know? I understand this is a reality, you know? It looks like planet Earth. I don't need to be reminded that these also live in a, in a, in a, in a, in a lockdown. And it was interesting that, again, like it just seems to drop that, which, I was slightly worried when it was when it was on screen, and we do get like a use of like a that dialogue, that small monologue. I was like, oh god! I was just hoping that it wouldn't come back again in, in its final in its final touch. Um, thankfully, it didn't. But then again, it felt like there was nothing more to say about it. Again, it just feels redundant. But um, yeah, I don't think we'll ever get another one of these. I think this is done. <laughs> I, would, I probably I hope so. <laughs> At this yeah, rate, I think I it's think probably it's just best let this die. It is funny, like two parallels. Number one, like Paranormal Activity should just should have been host. If they released host as Paranormal Activity 7 last year, that would have been like fucking killer. But number two, I cannot wait for you to see the follow-up to host from the director's dash cam because it is oh, yeah, fucking... I've got a screening list, yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> it's atrocious. Is it number, bad? It's, number one, it's Ooh, atrocious. Wow. But number two, it's also all about an anti-masker. And like you want to talk about like COVID being weirdly work. Yeah, it's not <laughs> not not to, not to throw wow. shit at this film that's not out, but like yikes, it is not good. So So how much are we thinking this was made for then? Because if, if Paramount are, are really not gonna make I mean, these are made for minuscule amount of money. That I know the originals, were, but this has a little bit more production value. I think Eubank taking a cut out of this would be quite a big, big check on his part. So I don't know where where the money's gone on this either. I have no idea. I mean, the production design is more. It's not just a house like the other ones, to be fair. But like, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's super expensive though either. To be fair, it feels like they well feels like they probably just went to the back of like a studio lot and just like oh yeah we have a church here for some reason and they're like okay cool let's write some things on it but yeah i had i, had, I have no idea where this is shot as well it's like wisconsin or something i've, I've got no idea i have no clue it's just uh, it's, it's a film that's it, it's so strange because you, it's look when it when it when something gets to a point where it's untouchable people want to see it toppled i think that's that's human nature it's a sad reality of life but it is i think to see this film for, for what was like 25, 35 grand um, d- d- debut at number one and take off Saw, um, the franchise and ultimately put that franchise to bed uh, was something that, that was incredibly unique. And, and to see where productivity has, has gone to like the, the ghost dimension and stuff like that, where yeah. you just think, oh, you know, that, that there's, there's so much to take away there and, and, and to, to, to think about, you know, there is a, there's an opportunity to, to evolve this franchise into something really interesting. I think one film that tried to do it and got it so wrong was The Ring, the third one, where you thought, okay, we're going to have something different here, propose an ideology and then just falls on its sword and presents the first film again. Um, this one, I don't think is, is to that extent that bad. Um, but, but what annoys me about this franchise, again, to, to go back to my original points, is that there was an opportunity here to really do something where nobody was expecting this. I don't think anyone's still expecting anyone, not to, not to put fuel on the fire, but there was an opportunity to, to really do something unique here. And I think with every sort of horror franchise, like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, I think I don't want to put Halloween in that bracket because I think that that's a, a success in its own right. Although we, we've, if you want to listen to more of these podcasts, I think you'll find that we weren't too, too happy with its sequel, but... I think it's interesting that people are yet to 
come back to horror and give it a new lick of pain and give it a new identity. I mean, we're seeing it now with, with this superhero machine where, you know, the, the ideology now is to subvert expectations with genre. I'd like to see a renaissance with horror there. I'd like to see someone who is not particularly endowed in horror uh, yeah. mythology take a stab at something, no pun intended. And, and I think it'd be interesting to see what Scream does. Yeah. I don't really have high hopes for it, but I would like someone to take a Texas Chainsaw Massacre and really do something different, you know? And I think, I don't want a comedy here with Paranormal Activity, but I just think put down the found footage aesthetic, embrace new way of horror and do something different. And I think William Eubank will come out of this um, with his tail between, twin, twin his, um, you know, between his cheeks. And to be fair, I, I think most people coming out of this will be disappointed. And I don't know what this will do for fan expectation, but... <laughs> To, to build nothing off a foundation, whoa, that's that's almost impossible to do. And I think this film does it, which is so disappointing. Well, isn't that an interesting trend, though, that we've seen just this year alone? And obviously, we've not seen the new Texas Chainsaw. We haven't seen the new Scream, so not speaking on those. But we have these established horror franchises with Saw, with a spiral book of Saw. Mm-hmm. We had this, we had Halloween Kills, all of which have potential to take their series into a very interesting new direction to elevate itself, to change itself. And ultimately, each one feels held back by just reductive thinking when it comes to what the core of its identity is as a series. I think there's a really mm-hmm. interesting, and horror always does this, and I think it's one of my favorite parts of the genre, is that you can clearly see every like 10 years, every decade, let's say, there's a new thing of horror specifically with the franchise. It's not going off independence. We had like the remakes of the 2010s that most of them were quite shitty. Now you're having this kind of elevated sense where these are trying to push into new things. They're trying to push into this elevated category of film and thought. And ultimately, we're getting pretty let down by these. I mean, I like Spiral enough, but like, I didn't like Halloween mm-hmm. Kills. I didn't like this. Spiral has its issues. It's going to be very interesting, I think, to see what happens next. Because you either have to kind of make a decision now, because they're all kind of have a foot in each pond. Are they going to go fully elevated? Are they fully going to continue this journey? Or are they going to go back to what worked with the series before? Friday the 13th just won a lawsuit. We're going to be getting another one of those films more than likely. Obviously, like I said, oh, excellent. we have Texas Chainsaw. We're at this really, like, I think, pivotal point when it comes to horror franchises. It'll, it's just, it's interesting to see. Though I think this is probably the worst one out of the bunch so far. You know, I, I, will, I will say this. I, I don't think I was, I was as happy with spiral let's say in the moment but when you when you actually put this i'm glad you've actually brought this up because when you look at it in context to this i don't i don't want to sort of contradict myself but you have to look back at spiral and give it its credit for actually doing something giving a, 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 a well not only giving it um a black voice on screen but d- doing it from a perspective of the police officer as well um, i think this should be i think they could have done more with with, with the racial aspect of that I think the film was ultimately afraid to do that because of the political um, uh, consequence of that, especially in the US. I think it would have had a really tough time. Um, but ultimately, horror is something that, that broods within, within time. We spoke about Halloween 2 on Uncut Gems not so long ago. You know, I think sometimes if a horror film comes out and it has tough conversations to have that are not really ready there, I think it broods into something quite special. I think, I think Spiral in the long run, uh, will be held back by that but you've got to give that film credit for actually doing something slightly unique with its with its with its flair i think it does fall on its side again with genre convention um but really i think when you look at this it's the weakest of the pile isn't it i mean 
I, 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 you know, aside from uh, homemade and unfriended, uh, host, sorry, not homemade. Homemade's another horror. It's, it's a horror. horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's not very many much of these aesthetic films anymore as well. And I think there's there's a reason for that. So why this would think it could plug a market that's not there, it's, it's so sort of ignorant to begin with. And it, it, I mean, they don't quite clearly know what audience there, there is left. I mean, I just, I kind of tie this to Cloverfield in my mind where it's like, yeah, you had some promising outings. The last one, even though I'm, I think I'm more of a fan of Paradox than others, it was just like, yeah, you oh, wow. went too far. Well, I'm not a fan, let's say, but I'm more than <laughs> others. Um, you went too far and then like, you just don't know what audience is there and you've kind of killed the audience. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know the future of Paranormal Activity. The thing about these is you can make these for cheap and often. So like we could easily see another one next Halloween. It's just, I hope it's not like this. But also you mentioned no one knows this is out. No one's talking about this. No one's seeing this. Like no one cares. So I, I, whether or not that's the streaming service or the property, who knows, but it's not a good start. Well, like I, I watched it. I, I, was, um, I was given a screen on Friday morning and um, I looked on Letterboxd, I think on a Thursday evening and it had 123 reviews. I thought, okay, I'm going to try to get mine out really early because I, I know you were, you were reviewing for Clap and I thought, well, I'll just put it on Letterbox anyway. Um, and I generally, at Friday evening, I had 169 reviews. And I was like, oh, wow, nobody, nobody, nobody knows this is out. I mean, I'll say this as well. When, when I say, I'll be very brief, sorry, Carson. I, my, my, when I say give it to someone and do something unit with it, I'm talking about giving it, like, give it Sean Baker. If Sean Baker wants to make handheld cinema, and because and and, I know he made a comment about Steven Soderbergh, you know, with something like Logan Lucky and not making Unsane on it and stuff like that, with with, with an iPhone, should I say. Um, give it Sean Baker, you know? Let, let, I mean, what's what's to lose? You can make it for cheap, uh, get some really um, gritty sort of uh, gore effects in there, get some special effects. I think it'd be good for his career to sort of evolve himself, and I think it'd be good for a franchise. Um, not to sound I mean, that's, crazy, that's... but could you imagine if like Ken Loach did a horror film and you make it like yeah, deeper, I mean, it... kind of like hereditary where it's like family based? That'd be amazing. Like there, I agree with you fully, but I think it's just like the horror genre has been so worn down by so many that like, it's just not seen as a respectable thing to a point anymore. I think there's a lot of people try and change mm-hmm. that. Mike Flanagan, Ari Aster, Robert Eggers, if you want to say, but like, I, it just feels like horror is not seen as this thing that directors can just go into and use as a genre. It feels like it has to be its own animal that's looked down upon, which is really tragic in a sense. <laughs> but I mean, also though, audiences don't respond well to elevated horror often, like mainstream audiences, let's say, like Halloween 2 bombed. That was the uh, sequel, the newer one. Like that's elevated horror. It People did not respond to it. People go to horror hoping for dumb fun. And if you try to give more, even though critically, yes, it might be well-received. Yes, it might have a fan base. Yes, we might like talking about it on the podcast. General audiences do not have the time or day for it. So I think it's just one of the modern like complexities and issues of horror, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Jack, so much for joining us today on the Halloween special. Go ahead and plug your social medias before we go back to that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I always like uh, joining on this as well. Um, you can find my letterbox and Twitter with username at Sharp. So it's all there for the fun. Perfect. Well, a commercial break brought us here. Let's use a commercial break to bring us back to the group. Well, Paul, it's your time to shine. You've done this for many weeks at this point, so it's not really special. But your film, the last one we're talking about today on the Halloween special, Game of Death, take it away. Okay, so interesting thing about Game of Death, now that we um, are sliding from over the garden wall, um, Game of Death actually was a miniseries. 
that they recut into a movie um, or remade. It's very hard to figure out the exact specifics, but it is interesting because when you retroactively think about it, there are like act breaks throughout this uh, where it'll like cut to a different thing or like show a flashback or something. And you're like, that was a little out of spot, but it wouldn't be if you were watching multiple episodes. Um, so Game of Death is basically murderous Jumanji. Um, these horny, horny teenagers decide to play a uh, board game that they find at this house. And it takes their blood and gives them a certain amount of time to either murder someone or have their heads explode. And... My friends and I, like, I know I've mentioned this multiple times. We do these, like, terrible movie Tuesdays. And we put this one on. And everyone in the group was just completely enraptured by this movie. Because once it starts, it is so fast. There is, like, no fat for you to be like, oh, okay, this is the boring scene in this. Every second, you're like, either someone is about to murder someone or their head is about to explode. Um, and there are so many great, like, moments in this in terms of a um midnight madness horror film um we talked about a bunch of different horror films over the past month and i kind of wanted to end on midnight madness because it's a weird kind of horror film in that it's not about the plot it's not about uh you know like giving emotions or anything it is pure splatter it is like you go in, you know what you're in for. It's a bunch of people dying and it's, you know, you walk out and you're like, oh my God, usually it's shown at midnight, usually at film fest or something like that. Um, it's very much a be drunk, enjoy yourself, go crazy. So I figured for like the Halloween one um, that it would be the best one to end on as like kind of like a, and this is one you would put on with a bunch of friends um, and go, oh my God, is this really happening? Um, so yeah, I'm kind of curious what you guys think. Um, there's so many aspects of this movie that are just wild to me. Um, even down to like the fact that it goes animated for a brief scene for no reason, but I also kind of love it. I really like this one. I thought this one was so much fun. It's kind of weird because you were originally like, oh, you guys won't like, or you like, you probably won't love it or whatever. And I was like, okay. So I wasn't really expecting much. Again, a running theme of what you guys picked today, not because of you as people, but because things in the films themselves. Um, but no, I thought this was like really fun. I like all the characters. Like, yes, I definitely think it can like for some audiences be grating just how these teens or the, how these characters interact, how immature they are. I mean, the one has like a dick drawn on his face for like most of the film. Right. But like, it is so fun and the performances just like they work. I wouldn't say it feels authentic. Right. I don't think it's like an authentic representation of how teens are, but I think they like feel authentic in the sense of it doesn't feel like they're putting on a performance it just feels like they are their characters which speaks to the performances here um i love the concept i just thought, i really thought this was fun and we've seen this concept before done like really poorly but i think this one works shockingly well like this is one i would definitely watch again i would definitely show friends it just has an energy it keeps moving like you said um i really i really liked it i liked it I'm glad. Yeah, no, it's mm -hmm. it's a perfect like splatter kind of like 
film. Also, I like how you didn't reference the fact that there's twin cest. <laughs> <laughs> Just like gotta leave something for Lena, you know. <laughs> I was gonna, I was getting to that. Um, yeah, I liked it, but like to me, it was just fine. Like nothing about it like really blew me away. But like, it's fun. It didn't to, blow like, your mind. <laughs> No, luckily my head did not explode during this movie. Um, but yeah, I thought it was fun. I haven't seen Jumanji, but like, it, it was like a fun, like, what? <laughs> I've only what? seen the Welcome to the Jungle one. Um, but like, so you saw I'm the saying, bad, like that... the one bad Jumanji out of the three. Love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The like first remake. Um, so like this was an interesting like version of the like trying to beat a like board game thing um because I haven't seen Jumanji <laughs> um like I don't know none of the characters were like very likable to me and I think that's why it like didn't do as much for me as I think it did for you guys because I was like I was like I don't give a fuck about any of these teenagers the only person I really liked was the park ranger she was a queen. She just wanted to look after her dog uh, icon. I was so sad when she got killed. I was like, you're the best part of this movie. It was tragic. Um, I also just didn't like the random scenes where they would like cut away. Like I kind of just wished that it was just like the murder mayhem the whole time, but like it was fine. Also like they are covered in blood for literally the entire movie. And I'm like, do you guys not have a towel or something? Like that'd be I, gross being covered yeah, in blood I think for that long. <laughs> Would you rather be covered in blood or cum from lesbian vampire killers? Which one? I get covered in cum a lot, honestly. So I think I pick that. Uh, so <laughs> <Do> that in. <laughs> uh, when I was actually when you were talking about that, Alina, I thought about that, but for the actors, I was like, imagine like scene three of this movie you're covered in blood and the rest of the movie they have to like okay here's your shot okay real quick we have to cover you in blood again that's what i'm <laughs> saying like it seems like a miserable shooting experience oh but, yeah no definitely yeah. um but yeah i love that like <laughs> this movie opens with a guy masturbating <laughs> to a video of his sister <laughs> and it's we've all the been there thing is it never comes up again like it their relationship is constantly mentioned but like it never has any aspect other than like what if like these two also wanted to fuck each other <laughs> and then even in the animated sequence there's a shot where they're like making out and i was like wait are we not gonna talk about this <laughs> just move on um which is like such a like oh yeah let's balls to the wall this um, at same point, actually, uh, Carson with over the garden wall, this came out in 2017 and it does feel like the kind of thing where after this, they would have gotten like, um, the two directors would have gotten like a, you know, yeah. short in an anthology or something. And it, they yeah. haven't done anything really since. And it's so wild to me because I do think this is like a very fun, crazy movie, um, and also like kind of perfect for the shutter um, that I'm really glad they got it. But yeah, um, after watching so many of these kind of movies and them try, you know, these movies that try to gross you out and freak you out, some of the tension in this is legitimately stressful. 
um especially when you're trying to figure out what's going on with the um mechanics of the game and everything and there's just a chaos to it is like you know these kids just completely lost in their um their terror and deciding what to do with everything but um yeah i think this is just a really fun like it's 73 minutes it's definitely like a put on as your last thing like you've had a couple how i imagine the perfect watching of this is like you're at a halloween party or over at a friend's and you have like an hour left and you're like okay we're gonna put on this movie and then we'll all go home um and yeah i think it's i think it's a fun one all of these are good for different reasons. And that's actually what's kind of interesting is all four of these films that we chose have their own spot in like the, um, you know, the whole Halloween movie watching world. What a party. Just throw all four on back to back. <laughs> you have your Halloween party sorted. I can't believe Paul <laughs> just admitted that lesbian vampire killers is good. <laughs> I think mean, he just said it was a great movie. Everyone, no, I so. said it had its own spot. I was like, I was trying to think of what that spot would be, but like, I mean, I guess if you were trying to get everyone to go home or like <laughs> willingly, you're like, oh, I'm going to put this on. And they're like, oh, look at the time. Gotta run. That's so rude Gotta to blast. James Corden's, <laughs> James Corden's <laughs> efforts. <laughs> I like that you said James Corden's and I was like, is that what you were calling him now? <laughs> There's multiples. <laughs> one day we will convert you, Paul, one day. Oh, God. <laughs> Not today, but one day. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, don't even get me started. Paul just lost the plot. We were like, why aren't we getting into the cult? Is because Paul's heart wasn't into it this entire time we've learned, but that's okay. I've actually I been just want us to do a Jared Leto special. It would be fun. <laughs> I do like how Lena was like, very jokingly like, oh, let's do one. Like it's a meme for our podcast. Paul was like, no. Fuck off. Absolutely not. <laughs> Not even like we haven't even discussed what films, which there are good films he's been in. But Paul's just like, absolutely not. We would never do that. Why would we ever do a Jared Leto? He's like, our listeners don't want us doing dumb shit. And I'm like, that's what our entire cost is. You're like, I mean, this podcast is either gonna make the make or break our audience, right? Like after this, it'll either be one or it will be uh, five hundred. So we will see what happens. Honestly, we actually do. By the way, if you're listening. We do have more listeners than you would expect. I was shocked too. <laughs> I apologize, Jack. I don't many. know what happened. Jack, I don't know what happened. One year anniversary coming up of me taking over the podcast. And this is how we're celebrating <laughs> was this episode. I'm not sure what happened. <laughs> Amazing. Well, let's go around where and see where we can find everyone on social media. Paul? At price like tag on Twitter and Letterboxd. Alina. I am at Alina Folds on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. You can find me on Twitter at BP underscore movie reviews, Letterboxd Carson Tamar. Thank you so much for listening. New episodes of the podcast comes out every single Wednesday starting this week. I believe we're back to just normal scheduling after a few bonus episodes. Um, so thank you for joining us all October. It's been a great fun doing the Halloween series kind of ending here. Um, email us at clappercast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Clapper Podcast. Like, subscribe, give us a five-star rating. Go watch Lesbian and Vampire Killers. And if it's bad, just know Paul Price sent you there to watch it. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>